On the 14th of April 2020, a couple of armed and maxed guys attacked the village of my wife. They attacked their home, had to kill the sister, and when they were leaving, they kidnapped about five persons. Now, how can you be fighting for your people? How can you be saying, yes, the country should be divided, you are fighting for the freedom of your people, and you are kidnapping them to ask for money? Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. Villages have been burned down. Girls raped, parents get killed. There are no jobs. In order to survive, many youth are picking up arms to fight back. The Anglophone crisis in Cameroon. By the end of November 2017, the government of Cameroon declared war on the separatists and sent its army into the Anglophone regions. Four years later, it is still ongoing. Welcome to the podcast to restore your faith in humanity. Welcome to Stick Your Neck Out. I am your host, Jean-Pierre Aguirre-Duraniona, and my guest today is Njeke Joshua Ekpe. With peace crops, he wants to use agriculture as a peace-building tool towards the civil unrest in Cameroon, as well as promoting environmental peace. Joshua, even though your country is in war, you still run your project for former orphanage inmates to train them in organic farming. In this way, as you once said, you can prevent them from using farming tools for going to war? Because of the civil unrest, many of these internally displaced persons who had abandoned their villages, their homes and their farmlands, and are now presently seeking refuge in other communities, facing situations where life itself hasn't been easy. In order to survive, some of these displaced youths are getting into crimes, while others are picking up weapons to join the separatists to fight back. As for the women, they are being faced with serious and high rate of marginalization from the men in these refuge communities. Something needed to be done. We came up with the Peace Corps Social Venture. Our Peace Club's venture is empowering victims of the unrest, especially orphans, youths, and displaced women from these affected communities. We have been working on empowering these victims by offering training programs on organic agriculture that will go a long way to help them set up food gardens for themselves and to create self-employment opportunities. These activities have improved on their health and is also reducing the economic dependency on donations. Luckily, so the Peace Crops project uses organic agriculture as a building tool for community development as well as to promote a peaceful environment. Would you mind elaborating this idea a little? When it comes to protecting a peaceful environment, organic agriculture itself is very peaceful, it's cost-effective and very affordable. It does not involve the usage of synthetic fertilizers, chemicals, and so on, which will be destroying our environment and little microorganisms that we have in our soils. In addition to our agricultural activities, we came up with a rehabilitation program where we try to create a mindset shift from the negative experiences. This displaced orphans and women 
have gone through in life since the civil unrest started. We try to meet with them in our center every Saturday for life skill training sessions. In these uh, sessions, we try to share stories, we talk on leadership skills, we build on their confidence and also improve on their self-esteem. Great. What is the most significant about what Peace Crops has done and is doing for the children and families in the communities until now? More than nine rural um, affected communities from the unrest. We also have um, programs in 11 orphanages and presently we have projects going on in eight schools. That is um, six primary schools and two secondary schools within the Boya subdivision. And we also have other entities that we carry out our agricultural um, projects like the prison that I mentioned. Um, also, in the community of Bova Village, we came up with the Peace Crop um, Training Center uh, that we have established. And uh, in our Peace Crop uh, Training Center, we have a rehabilitation and a correction program presently going on with the aim to equip displaced um, orphans and women with knowledge needed to combat unemployment, hunger, and also to stop the ongoing conflict. In addition, I can also say that our activities during the heart of the COVID-19 government lockdown was and is also very significant to what peace clubs have been doing for these families in these affected communities. Because um, our initiative to create community gardens did not just uh, help us, it also um, helped families that were displaced and were vulnerable. And it also had to help um, to provide food to the elderly ones during the heart of the crisis. Our food baskets were a source of relief to many of these um, elderly persons who gave us um, smiles. Uh, making us to understand that they were happy that someone was thinking about them. Peace Crops is the flagship program of AgriLife Association, an organization you founded a few years back before joining Kantari. Would you care to explain how you come from AgriLife to Peace Crops? Having experienced a very difficult um, childhood, life again became more difficult when I graduated from the university. As I became more depressed, I was not able to secure a job. The only area in my life where I found peace was when I was involving myself as a volunteer in local orphanages and involving myself in agricultural activities. This uh, therefore led me in 2014 to create an organization or an association with the name AgriLife. Now, the name AgriLife means agriculture is life because seriously, agriculture changed my life and is still changing my life up till date. With my AgriLife Association projects, I was able to create a platform for not just myself, but for few youths in my community to offer their services as volunteers 
to our local community and our local orphanages. We created lots of community gardens and to help orphanages and also to provide food to the elderly persons in our communities. So when the civil unrest started in late 2017, things became very bad. It was very difficult for us to carry out our activities smoothly. I personally witnessed the killing of few of uh, my family members. We saw how um, a few of our brothers and sisters' hands were chopped off in our local communities. It was kind of a terrible experience. So I decided to say, okay, how can I help my community? How can our projects help to keep our young ones focused? With uh, little or no support coming in from the local government and other organizations, I saw how most of the local orphanages I was volunteering in started finding it so difficult providing food for their children and orphanages were also increasing when it comes to population. I see. So, peace crops. Why did you use these two words? <laughs> well, one of the after effects of every civil unrest is that of food insecurity and engaging these internally displaced youths who are striving to survive in a peaceful activity such as agriculture is therefore creating a new generation of young persons who will not just use their youthful energies to burn down the nation but they will build up their lives and at the same time, they will be building the communities that we have been dreaming of. Besides, I am part of this generation and I want my generation to understand that the same tools that they are using now as weapons could also be used as tools to secure our food and to secure our future. So, there was this day in Cantare. I was having a conversation with the founders, Paul and Sabria, and Sabria asked me a question that why don't I train my beneficiaries to become peace gardeners? And I was like, wow, um, it sounds interesting. So I said, it means my peace gardeners will be growing peace crops. And then Paul said, you would then become Mr. Crops, peace crops, just like Bond. James Bond. And I said, yes, I will create a social venture with the name Peace Crops, since as I will be using agriculture as a peace building tool towards the civil unrest in Cameroon. That is how the name Peace Crops originated. It is a really great name, I think. In your graduation dream speech at Cantari, you show how one and the same tool, a hoe, can be used both for war and for maintaining peace. When farming, it is difficult to make people want to use it for the second one? It's been kind of difficult to make people to understand that the tools and the energies they are using can also be used to maintain peace when they involve into farming, particularly the young generation. This is because in Cameroon, there is a notion that... Uh, Agriculture is for the poor and the old persons. 
and everyone wants but a white collar jobs where they will sit in a big office having a chair which is turning around a big table they have um ac blowing them and at the end of the day they go to the bank and collect money some of the young persons we have approached they tell us that agriculture wastes a lot of time to give money you have to plant a seed now it will take like three to two to four months before you start harvesting that that's a lot of time wastage they want to be involved in activities that will give them money immediately and as fast as possible and i think that is why when you tell them that don't get into crimes don't get into cyber crimes don't join certain groups to start kidnapping people and asking for money they will tell you immediately that this one pays very fast so we keep on having almost one and the same story going on some of them are joining and it's kind of very sad but i think gradually with the few we are changing i think is something positive it is sad indeed joshua why focus on engaging these youth and marginalized women in activities such as agriculture what are you expecting as an outcome a part of organic agriculture being so peaceful have you ever seen the expression on a child's face when he or she is playing with the soil or when he or she plants a seed and comes after a few days and see a little plant coming out from the soil that's the kind of joy and peace our project is bringing to these young ones on the 24th of october 2020 children within the ages of 10 and 17 were attacked and slaughtered into pieces in a school in cameroon by unknown gunmen this happened just few weeks after schools were asked to resume after four years of no schooling in the two English-speaking regions of Cameroon. Many of these children's villages were burnt down, their parents killed, and some were raped, while others were seriously tortured and sent away with nothing. In the midst of all these difficulties, many of these adolescent youths are who have not seen the four walls of schools for almost four years, are now getting into crimes prostitution even joining the separatists and forgetting of any dreams they ever had of going to school but why won't they the challenges faced by these displaced youths include high level of neglect malnutrition infectious diseases like hiv aids illiteracy uh, lack of inheritance right discrimination and stigmatization from their refugee communities and also exclusion from opportunities for education and employment many of these displaced youths are uneducated and some of the girls were forced into early marriages they cannot be employed because they lack the basic skills so they depend on donations and from men in these refugee villages my reason of engaging women into our activities is because they have experienced a much higher level of physical sexual and psychological violence and are lacking safety nets to provide um, their basic needs presently in my local community it is habitual for 
these displaced women to wake up in the morning and go begging, involved in strenuous job, and then come back to cook food for their children and their entire family. It's more common to see some of these women in charge of feeding their families and also engaging in small-scale agriculture to support their families since most of their husbands were killed within the unrest. These factors have also led to the marginalization of these displaced women and girls and is preventing them from accessing financial and other economic resources which has led to the perpetuation of chronic poverty amongst them. Many of these young girls are uneducated and were forced into early marriages. Offering such a quality vocational training to this target group after such a long while will be the best gift for the future of Cameroon. Most of them will be able to provide their basic needs, provide food for their children, and also create employment opportunities for themselves. This project will also be as a transit for the adolescent orphans who are at the verge of uh, being sent out of orphanages or who are at the verge of joining the separatists to, to make a positive difference in their future. The work you are doing is, I dare say, definitely influenced by your past. On 12 July 1998, France won the World Cup beating Brazil 3-0 thanks to Zinedine Zidane. This was a celebration day for a lot of people in the world. I still remember I was a kid. You were a child also back then and you also celebrated, like me. But something happened, something that changed your life? I remember I was eight years old and my younger brother was, I think, four He, I'm not sure he himself can really remember this day because he was so small. We were in the uh, city of Douala. And we went to watch the football match on the television. And, well, it was a wonderful day because we were supporting the French national team that had just uh, beaten the national team of Brazil by three goals to nothing. So why uh, happily going back home We were stopped by three guys who were, have, who were having guns and they asked for money. They took, I remember they took his wristwatch, but I, I don't remember him fighting. But I remember, what I can remember is that he was shot. And I remembered again my, the scream for my younger brother from behind who was crying and crying loud i'm not sure i could i'm not sure what we what i was really doing at that moment but that was how my life turned completely with the shock of seeing my father being killed i became mute for some years but i remember i started talking later and until this day i still have faced difficulties in talking i i am a stammerer but i have worked on it over these years and I now talk and people can get me. When I was mute, people thought I had a psychological problem and no family member wanted to stay with me because my mom had to go to the city to further education and to look for a job to take care of my siblings and I. The only person who could stay with me by at this time in my life was my grandmom who was working in 
a home that had many children that were orphans. And that is how I found myself in this strange environment with many children that I didn't know where they were coming from. And that is how life in the orphanage began for me. Back then, I remembered my grandmother always taking me to the farm at that very young age. We walk for a long distance, go right deep into the forest just to cultivate or just to do our farming. Coming back to the house, she would take a big lock of wood and put on my head. And we were doing this with the other children and uh, it wasn't easy. But I think that we just took it well as part of life. And that is how the bond between me and my grandmother started until this very day. And I'm happy because over my life, after my university education, I tried looking for a job. There was no way. But I think just the training my grandmother gave me at that very young age has helped me today to earn a living. And it has helped me also to fall in love with agriculture because even when I was in school, agriculture was what was surviving me. So I would say that the incident that happened that day, I think that it paved or it directed me towards um, the field in which I am operating on at this moment. Oh, that's really tough. After that, you started living in an orphanage in Cameroon. Poverty, political instability, and influx of refugees have made child hunger even more dire, especially for orphans. My question here is, how was life for you in the orphanage? When I talk about life in an orphanage, I want you to imagine a child who wakes up every morning, unsure of a meal coming his or a day, away from his original home, family, and school and he's trying to survive in an institution he or she now calls home but truly that is not home that was my fate with many others i found there or those who came my friend it was very difficult for me to adapt to this new environment I can remember the orphanage facility to be very small. I think we had two sleeping rooms with about close to 20 to 22 persons always around. We had the electricity, but water availability was a serious problem. On most days after school, uh, after school hours, we had to walk about eight kilometers away from the orphanage home just to carry water in a village called Koke. We had chores. Ah, we had thousands of household chores, which included uh, working in the kitchen, washing of plates, washing of clothes, sweeping, and also helping to take care of the younger ones. I also remember how difficult it was providing uh, and, uh, and dividing food for everyone. What I will not forget is that there were days we slept hungry on several occasions and on countless occasions we ate just one, I think one meal an entire day because the home could not really afford all the expenses. I consider myself very lucky to have experienced all this. Physically, I became very strong. Whenever I had a shortage in money or my school fees, 
I did lots of menial jobs on the street just to raise money uh, for myself. And I learned the hard way that things will not just be given to me for free. I had to work for it. And the idea of us sharing every little thing we had, I grew up with it. And that is why I'm struggling to share what took me out of this um, difficult life to others so that they too can come out from the experiences I saw and also to not to take the path of crimes that I was following. Fighting food insecurity by training orphans on setting up organic food gardens in their spaces to improve on their health as well as also using agriculture as a peace-building tool towards the civil political unrest in Cameroon, that is the goal you set yourself back then and still are pursuing it. What is difficult to stick to your plans? Of course, yes. These have been my goal, and I'm still pursuing it. But I must admit, it was difficult to stick only around orphanages. I came back into my community and noticed much more needed to be done. I found out that displaced women from many of these um, affected communities were facing lots of uh, marginalization from their refuge communities. So I started uh, a training program for them as well. I also had to take my gardening projects into our local prisons, where I worked with few prisoners to set up food gardens for them. And I'm also presently working with um, our community primary schools and secondary schools to see how we can have um, food gardens in, in their school compound. In few months to come, we are thinking of having um, a project with our local health centers so that we can set up food gardens for them, which they will be using to provide uh, healthy food for patients that are admitted in the health centers. Since late 2017, there is an active conflict in Anglophone Cameroon that has killed at least 2,400 people and displaced more than 600,000. Some children have been separated from their parents due to the ongoing killing and confrontations. Can you please describe the situation in Cameroon now? 2,400 persons could be underestimated. I think more people have lost their life since this crisis started in 2017. The present state of the country now is kind of very confusing because we really don't know where we are heading to. We will spend like a week, you will not hear any gunshot. Then you will think, ah, okay, things are gradually getting back to normality. People start going out for their daily activities. But all of a sudden, you just hear, these guys, these separatists have attacked here. The military has attacked this community. This one has been killed. This one was shot. This one was. This one has happened. Then we go back again almost to level zero, where people start staying in their houses in fear of going out. Markets are closed. Businesses are closed. Schools also are closed. It personally, for me, it's almost three months have not been able to jog or to go for sports in the morning because I'm afraid. I could go jogging and all of a sudden I'm caught up within a crossfire between the military and the separatist fighters. 
again, I'm afraid of my own life personally because as a community leader, I could be kidnapped at any moment and they start asking my family for ransom. So the country is in a very confused state. As days go by, we just live as we see it. We, or we just go through a day and hope, hey, no, maybe nobody is shot, maybe no community is attacked, while well, we hope for a better tomorrow. We live in a very confused country where gunmen just go to schools, kill or harass our children and tell them, we told your parents not to send you people to school. We live in a country where today the separatists will just get up and say, we have a ghost town for about one week. So people should stock their houses and nobody should come outside. And truly, when you go outside, you are being killed. When they see your car, they burn it down. That's the kind of country we live in today. So that's the present situation in Cameroon. I'm talking, when I talk Cameroon, I, I am talking about the English speaking region of Cameroon. We don't hear this from the French speaking regions. We hear this only in our English speaking regions of Cameroon. And what is going on? The same separatists who are saying that they are here to liberate us, they are instead fighting within our region and they are instead killing their own persons. So that is the present situation we are facing. My worry is that many of these young Cameroonians get into this war without even knowing why they are fighting. If you ask many of them that why are you joining the separatists to burn down the nation, they don't even know. This is why I say if they had something doing, if most of them were employed, if most of them had some kind of money coming in or doing something to keep themselves occupied, they couldn't have been seen the time to join these guys to burn down or to fight the Cameroon military. I totally understand, and I think I can relate that to what Sabriye said while writing about you, that you believe that war and violence arise from hunger and poverty. Do you mind to elaborate this thought for me, for our listeners? On the 14th of April 2020, a couple of armed and maxed guys attacked the village of my wife. They attacked their home, had to kill the sister, and when they were leaving, they kidnapped about five persons. After they had gone, they had to call that they want ransom, they want a huge amount of money before these people that were kidnapped were going to be released. Now, how can you be fighting for your people? How can you be saying, yes, the country should be divided, you are fighting for the freedom of your people, and you are kidnapping them to ask for money? If this is not poverty, lots of uncountable cases have been recorded. They just come around, they shoot and kill a person, and before they go, they take like three or five persons. And when they go, they start asking for ransom. This unrest is turning into a different thing with we not knowing who to trust. And when you see those who are involved in these activities, they are young boys and girls within the ages of 14 to 19. Because they are being blinded, that we don't know where we are going to. So, I definitely think that hunger and poverty is causing all this. They are looking for money. And since as there are no jobs, schools have been disturbed for the past four years, I think they are looking for a means to survive. Definitely. So, that is why, you see, up till date, 
the unrest is still going on as i'm speaking just two days ago the same thing happened someone was killed in front of his family and before they left they took four other persons and they are asking for ransom today and if that is not done they will kill those people inside the bushes yeah it's really sad joshua i'm terribly sorry for you and your wife it's a pity that this situation is still ongoing for so long personally this is what i think and i'm going to explain myself the civil unrest in cameroon didn't just start today it originates from a long history which has led to a separated country we have the french-speaking cameroonians and the english-speaking cameroonians we have the french-speaking regions which are eight and the english-speaking regions which are two and the english-speaking cameroonians think that they have been for a long time being marginalized by the french-speaking regions so they are fighting now that the countries should be separated most development projects are being done in the french-speaking regions when it comes to recruitment to a public service you find mostly the names of the french-speaking cameroonians whereas we have the most um, natural resources in the english-speaking regions of cameroon all these natural resources like oil like timber are being taken every blessed day and are being uh, transported to the french-speaking regions of cameroon leaving most of our youths unemployed and when you see the english-speaking cameroonians striving that there should be a separation is because of what has been going on with the level of corruption we have anyone who has something doing from the government or who has somewhere money is coming in stays quiet and pretend as if nothing is happening because they are supporting a government which is being run by people in their 80s their 90s and even a hundred and so you found your personal way out of this vicious circle through agriculture after i graduated from the university i found myself getting into crimes just to survive and this is the case of many young camonians today they go to school they come out because of the state of the country there are no jobs and you see they start getting into crime they start um, training people to to kidnap others to kill others in the name of um, helping to free the country whereas they are looking for money i found my way around this years back when i started my own personal agriculture business and i found that it has changed my life and is helping that of many young people in my community now i think that it shouldn't just be agriculture that's why i'm encouraging other camonians to come up with more better initiatives there are many fields of life not everybody wants to be a farmer not everybody wants to get into agriculture but i think that there are other camonians my age who can come up with initiatives where they can help to train more of our young camonians to become self-employed with this they will be able to take care of their basic needs they'll be able maybe to take care of their families and not get so carried away into the civil unrest and blaming the government for uh, failure for poverty for them being hungry everyone wants to partake in sharing the national cake but i always ask this question what if you learn how to bake your own cake and then call others to share with you 
agriculture is what I do best. Agriculture is what I know. That is the cake I have baked. And I believe that bringing others to share this will help many of us to remove our eyes from the national cake and create our own. Mm -hmm. At some point, you had the idea of a training farm for young people so they get away from violence and can contribute to a more peaceful tomorrow. How is this farm doing? Presently, our farm has been doing great. We recently completed the construction of the administrative um, building. We have a poultry on the farm. We have a pig pen and we have, uh, we have gardens. So uh, we try as much as possible to keep every of our activities as organic as possible. We use the waste from the pig pen and the poultry to as manure in our farms and our gardening activities. We also have um, fresh eggs and other dairy products from these, our livestock. We also have as a plan to set up a biogas plant in our center where we'll be using the, the waste also from our livestock to create uh, gas for our kitchen. And also maybe in the nearest future, we'll have electricity from the waste produced from our livestock. That's awesome. Your organization, Peace Crops, is identifying orphanage and targeting them for food and nutritional support. You're also training them. Why is it so important to train in these orphans? When the civil unrest started, Many persons out there are guilty of finishing the foodstuffs in the supermarkets, trying to stock their homes. The same case as when the COVID-19 lockdown was declared. And yes, everybody was trying to take care of their children, stock some foods for themselves. But I always ask the question, what about the poor children in orphanages who don't have parents to take care of them? Also. Since the civil unrest started, it's been difficult for the government and other organizations to come to interior rural communities to give aid to these displaced orphans. This is because many of them are afraid of being attacked by the separatist fighters and they decide to just okay, keep away from these interior uh, communities. As a result of this, many of these orphanages, which are run by individuals and not even the government, they find it so difficult to provide nutritious food to these children in their keeping. And having experienced firsthand what goes on in orphanages, particularly when it comes to food, I think this was a reason why my Peace Crops project was needed. Now, Even when there is a lockdown, if an orphanage has a garden around their vicinity, they can easily go behind their house, harvest one or two vegetables, and that is it. They provide and cook food for the children in their keeping. Now, if they have been depending solely on donations, and these donations are no longer coming in since the civil unrest started, it means that some of these children in their keeping may starve to death. That is why I would think that even if donations are not coming in, it's very important for orphanages to at least have a garden around their vicinity. And it's very important also for these young orphans 
to at least not just to have skills in agriculture, but they may also have other skills that will help them to forget about the terrible experiences they have gone through in their lives. That is why I think that many projects need to come up, not just in agriculture. There are many opportunities out there. There are many young people there running projects that I think can help maybe to educate these young people who don't have the opportunity to go to school, who don't have a mother or a father to provide them with the future which they have been dreaming of. I think if they have the opportunity to be given such opportunities, then I think that we'll have a future where many will not get into crimes, many will not join uh, the others to burn down the nations, many people will not blame the government for their failures. Some of them may come out and be self-employed. Some of them may come out and maybe sponsor themselves and others in school in the nearest future. Adding to this, we always say a hungry man is an angry person. And I bet you, there is no way you can go to an orphanage and you say you want to educate a child when a child is hungry. Even an adult cannot take this. There is no way you say, no, let me send a child maybe to school. Let me try and send, uh, maybe give, uh, maybe play with this child. The child will dance. If that child is hungry, you are wasting your time. So I think that food is very important. And teaching them how to grow their own food is much more important. I had a terrible experience in 2018 when I was in Ghana. I accompanied a friend to a certain orphanage and we found out that the rice these children were eating was an expired rice. It therefore means that somebody whose rice was expired in his house decided to not to throw this food away. He decided to go and dump this food in an orphanage and this is what many persons are doing today. I think that because in the name of depending on donations, many persons are just using orphanages as a dumping ground to go there, drop old dresses, old shoes, contaminated food, and the rest. I think that we'll be solving another problem if these orphanages are able to cultivate their own food healthily. It will also help in providing them with good health. And I imagine that the current coronavirus crisis also affects the operations of peace crops. For persons like me, whose daily activities depends on the farm, orphanages and on the streets, COVID-19 is a deadly virus, but to me, hunger is more deadlier. The little my project could do at that time to support was by sharing the little we had from our community gardens. This is because demand for food support increased so much, but we are happy that we were working round the clock as community volunteers to ensure that no vulnerable and incapable of working person was left out. One of the major challenge we had was getting food to vulnerable beneficiaries living in far and deplorable rural communities around the the Boya subdivision. Still, you were able to provide around 1,500 COVID-19 emergency intervention food baskets in poor rural areas. How do you manage this process? It is obvious that this pandemic has affected things like movements, jobs, event gatherings, and so on. 
Going out to look for basic needs like food became so difficult even for a farmer like myself. Above all, I would like to discuss on how it has affected food safety and security, particularly in our orphanage homes for displaced women and the elderly population. The COVID-19 pandemic brought to the forefront the lack of social protection measures for these displaced and marginalized rural women who were at the mercy of the economic downturn. Their demands and that of their families for food support did increase so much. So we came up with a project idea. We targeted Food for All COVID-19 Community Emergency Intervention Program. With our Food for All COVID-19 Community Emergency Intervention Program, we're able to provide more than 400 boxes of food enough to feed 400 vulnerable families. This was done every Saturday for two months. We also had to share more than 150 packs of hot meals with basic essentials twice a week for two months to homeless persons on the streets of Cameroon. Our donated food products included rice, mushrooms, carrots, cabbages, sugar, and other vegetables we harvested from our community gardens. Today, we are happy to say that we kept some persons alive during the COVID-19 lockdown, and we have taken upon ourselves to replicate our backyard gardens and community gardening projects in other communities. That's great. So how do you identify who are the families that need the most these baskets? Identifying these uh, families was not really difficult since we closely work with community heads whenever we go to carry out a project. I strongly believe that we have to take permission from the community heads before we go into their communities. And they also know their beneficiaries more than we do. So with this, we were able to do um, beneficiary needs assessment. With the aid of the community heads, we were able to easily locate um, displaced persons within their communities and also to identify those who were vulnerable and of the elderly age. We are so happy that they had to help us with a team of young volunteers who helped us to distribute our food baskets and they also bought our ideas because they at the end of the project they started working alongside us to encourage each and every household to at least set up uh, a backyard vegetable gardens so that even if there is a lockdown in future they will be able to assess fresh and healthy vegetables on a daily basis we started small with very little workshops and from there we are happy that many households are copying our initiatives i do strongly believe that my team and i were opened we were ready and we wanted to operate across communities and municipalities that were affected by the government lockdown we immediately started growing lots of vegetables on our farms and on a community land that was donated to us. These vegetables enable us to provide um, these food baskets to these vulnerable persons 
and also to the elderly ones. It's been almost a year since we started with the food basket distributions and we keep on distributing. And I think this is the best of all, that you keep distributing. With the Peace Crops project, you are using free computer trainings and organic agriculture sessions as a peace-building tool towards the civil unrest in Cameroon, as well as promoting environmental peace. It sounds like a great plan. Is it working? Is it difficult to motivate people to make sure of these offers? I'm sure it is working because since we started, our number of beneficiaries have been increasing as months go by. But this wasn't the case when we started. It was very difficult trying to motivate people to embrace our project or to embrace our activities. But when they started seeing that a few of our first beneficiaries' lives were being changed, some of their friends who were um, getting into crimes, some of their friends who were getting into begging, prostitutions, and joining the separatists, lives were changing. We have realized that many youths and many displaced women are coming to our centers and they want, they want to be involved in our vocational training. Truly speaking, it's not that easy working with children in orphanages particularly those who have lost their parents, who have been kept away from their homes, their friends, and their lifestyles. It's not that easy. So we approaching them is kind of very um, tactical. We make sure that we try to gain their trust because they are not just open to strangers. We have to walk our way into their lives. We have to walk our way into gaining their confidence which might be difficult because of their background, I guess. So how do you approach these kids you work with? I think talking to adults in conflict areas is a difficult situation. So I guess with children is a bit more difficult, isn't it? Some of these orphanages we work with have children that have gone through a lot throughout the civil unrest and directly involving them in outdoor activities like agriculture is not the best approach so what we try to do is we have volunteers who are trained and who help in providing an extra helping hand they have valuable skills which they bring when it comes to storytelling arts music and game times to ensure that even the introverts are not left out after a period of about two months, when we have made sure that uh, the children are comfortable having strangers around, we start uh, involving them in our outdoor sessions. In all this, we try to make them to enjoy every process and to have fun being part of what we try to do. We try to bring in... Um, agriculture, vegetables, food, on their daily uh, discussions while learning. We try to make them to paint pictures. We try to tell them to sing songs. We tell them to dance. All this, when they're playing, they're laughing, they're jumping around, we try to create a bond with them so that when we start going out, it will also be enjoyable to them. You know, Joshua, talking to you, one has to say it's incredible how witnessing everything you have experienced you are still able to bring hope to the children. Are there moments in your life that you feel you won't have enough power to overcome all these tragedies? 
after the most recent loss of my sister-in-law and combined with the most recent threats I got from some of the separatist fighters who uh, thought I was against what they were doing, I said to myself that it's like what I'm doing is putting my family at risk. And I almost had second thoughts to say, hey, maybe I should halt or stop with uh, my activities. I have gone through a lot and I've witnessed a lot to know that human beings are capable of doing anything. In fact, what we think is even impossible towards each other. But I believe that this is what keeps me going. The strength and the power that I always feel when I overcome any tragedy that comes my way. So I believe that I want my work to always continue. And maybe even if I'm not there tomorrow, some other person that I trained should have the courage to continue what I'm doing. Well, I think it's really impressive what you have done, what you have achieved and what you're going for. So what do you need to go on? How can people get active and support Peace Clubs? What we need to go on is uh, more financial aid and also um, having partners. We also encourage people to be our volunteers, not just physically, but also helping us to volunteer online. We are a very young organization run by very young men and women, and we are very open for support, for advice, and also for trainings that will give us the opportunity to take what we have been doing to another level. You've heard the man. According to Joshua, organic farming on its own has a lot to do with peace. This set of young farmers Peace Crops is training will be part of a new generation of environmentalists that are trying to build communities which prefer health to wealth. If you, dear listener, are looking for more infos or want to collaborate, pay a visit at peacecrops.org. You might don't know about it, maybe you do. Across the rail lines throughout India, child poverty and hunger are a depressing and ever-present reality. My guest next week has a vision to see a child-friendly atmosphere at Indian railway stations where the street child can survive, be safe, receive care, develop the useful skills of saving and acquire educational opportunities. Sanush project carries the name Child in Rail. You'll find the stories of the Cantari alumni and the Giraffe heroes, the stories of people sticking their necks out every Tuesday on Spotify, iTunes, our homepage, and every other place where you get your podcast. And if you subscribe, you don't have to look out for us. We'll be coming to you. Please, tell us about your frontline hero. If there is a friend, a family member, an organization, or someone you know who is doing a great work in the community, nominate them as a Giraffe hero or tell us about them. Come and visit us at giraffe-heroes.eu. My name is Jean-Pierre Gerdurañona, and I hope you join us also on our social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. But more importantly, I hope you join us again next week. Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. 